So it is important that you measure what it is that God entrusts you with. And we're speaking about finance specifically, so we're talking about that. And the ways that you can track that is multitude. You can do it in Excel, you can use software, you can use apps. We live in a very modern era where it's as easy as pie. And once you know what it is that you're spending your money on, then you can also identify where the wastage is in your spending. And trust me, there will be wastage. And once you understand where the wastage is, it means that you can start living a lot more free in terms of your spending because you can trim and you can cut back where necessary. Just go on to the next slide. There's a lot of excuses that people have for why they can't budget. I'm bad at maths. I'm not good with numbers. Huh? Well, as I mentioned, there are budgeting apps for that. Computers can do a lot of the legwork for, for you. You don't have to be good at maths. There's a computer pro program or an app that can do all of the heavy lifting on your behalf. The second reason that people give is it takes too much time, which is complete and utter nonsense. How much time do you spend in the gym? How much time do you spend in front of the television? How much time do you spend on Facebook? If you can do any of those things, you can budget. You can cut back and you can only allocate about 30 minutes a week to budgeting. And you can know exactly where every rand and every cent and every dollar goes. 30 minutes a week, that's all it takes. And Afterwards, if you want some advice, maybe we'll do like a follow-on session like on a Saturday and we can do like proper hardcore breakdown of this kind of stuff. Um, number three, oh, number two, which I skipped there, it says I can't budget because my income va varies. I would post to you that if your income varies, even more reason for you to budget. You have to budget. If you don't know how much you spend every month, when you have a windfall in August, and your monthly expenses are $1,000, all of a sudden in August you get $5,000, you can't spend all of that money in September because you don't know what's lying ahead in September, in October, in November. You need to be able to plan ahead. If your money, if your income varies, you have to budget. Um, number four, budgeting is torturing or denying myself. And again, it's actually the opposite of that. If you budget, it means that you know where every rand and cent goes. If you know where every random cent goes, it also means then that you can get practical about what it is that you are wanting or desiring. If you are desiring to buy a massive 50-inch flat screen TV or to go on an overseas holiday or to do whatever it is that you want to do, if you don't have a, bu a budget, you can't know if you can afford that thing in one or two or three months' time. And that is why budgeting is important. It actually enables you to take on those purchases and do so in freedom. I make too little to budget. Again, a really bad excuse. If you don't, it's the equivalent of saying, I'm too fat to care about what I eat. You have to care about everything that goes into your mouth. Every calorie counts. If you don't make a lot of money, you need to know where every single rand and cent goes because every rand and cent counts. And if you go on to the next slide, I've given you guys a few exa examples there. Those are all the apps that you can get. Um, the one that my wife and I use is called You Need a Budget, which is that one in the middle. And it's an app that sits on my phone, it sits on her phone, and it actively syncs into the cloud. 
and I can track her spending life. <laughs> but it's a two-edged sword because she can track my spending life. <laughs> so there's no hiding. So wherever we go, if I go to the shop and I'm buying groceries, as I'm standing at the till, I type it in, groceries, $1,000, $500, whatever. And it, it even tells me that I'm at Checkers right now when I'm putting it on the app. It tracks me like that. And then my wife will get an update on her side, and then she knows that I've bought the groceries that I was instructed to buy. So what are the benefits of a, bu of a budget? The benefits of a budget are you will have freedom and peace of mind. If you know where all the money is going, and you are in no two minds about how much month will be left, at the end of your dollars. Or hopefully you're in the opposite position where you say, I've got so many dollars left even before the end of the month because you're tracking your spending. If you can spot what your patterns are, you can trim wastage and you can live in freedom. You can also be intentional about your generosity. So this is the thing, right? If you're not tracking your budget and tracking your spending, whenever you get a windfall, whenever you get an increase, Whenever you, the tax man miraculously pays you something back, you're going to spend that frivolously on nonsense. But if you have a budget, you can say, no, well, this is what I need. And clearly all of this over here is just froth on top. Then you can start being intentional about how you want to be generous. And yes, I encourage you, please do give your tenth to the church. But the Bible expects so much more of us. In the Acts church, they sold all their possessions and gave to the needy. Paul also, um, in, what's this? Paul also encourages the church, he was going to one of the churches and he encouraged that church to take up an offering according to each needs, to each of theirs needs and each of theirs ability. Meaning that those who earn more should give more. Those who earned less would give less. If I'm earning $5 million a year, should I only be happy with giving away 10% of my income? Should I not be more generous? The Bible is also clear, and it says, to those who much has been given, much more will be expected. And that 10% doesn't cut it anymore. Let me challenge you. And I can challenge you because this is what my wife and I live. We are intentional about our generosity. We budget it. Okay? And ultimately, we are accountable to God, guys. Every single cent that you have is not your own. You are merely the steward of that finance. It is ultimately God's finances. Number two, actively seek to grow it. In Matthew 25, verse 14 to 30, now maybe we can turn there and we can read that. And it's the parable of, of the ta talents. Of the, yeah. And again, it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five more bags. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the one who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, hid his master's money, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with him. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. 
Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. And his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And I'd like to end it there. But what's interesting is that the master gave according to each's ability. So he knew that the one who he gave five to, he could handle that five. And he would grow it. The one that he gave one to, he knew. Like, this is that lazy one. I can't really, really trust him with much more than this. So I'm going to give him the one. And hopefully, he can just earn interest on it, which is what that scripture also talks about. He, the master says, if you had at least gone and put that at the bank and earned interest, that would have been fine. I didn't expect you to double it. I only expected you to get me some interest on it. And this is what I want to encourage you with. God gives us talents, and he expects us to grow them. And it's not just finances, guys. It's everything. It's our giftings. It's our abilities. It's our families. It's our time. God has given us many gifts, and he expects us to grow it. It was the mandate that he gave Adam right at the beginning. He told Adam, go forth and multiply and subdue the earth. And God expects us, therefore, to go out and multiply. He's not happy that we maintain the status quo. What's also interesting about the scripture verse is that no, at no point did ownership transfer to the ser servants. It still always remained the ownership of the master. And so this is again true and a replicate of how it is with us and our finances. There's no beneficial transfer of ownership. I want to share with you the story about Bill and Melinda Gates. Um, Bill and Melinda Gates have uh, committed all of their for fortune to good causes. I, I'm sure many of you might know about this. But I watched an interview of him on, um, on Bloomberg. And in this interview, he actually spoke about how he wants to cure, or with his foundation, they want to cure diseases. They want to eradicate certain diseases, like malaria. So this is a, a disease that doesn't affect this man. Okay? He lives in the States. He is very wealthy. Nobody he knows will die from malaria in his close inner circle. And he wants to eradicate malaria, which is a disease that's like predominantly our problem, sub-Saharan Africa. In sub-Saharan Africa, 212 million malaria cases were reported in 2015. There were 429,000 deaths. This is a very real problem. And this man says that with their wealth, they are going to eradicate this disease. In fact, in the Bloomberg art, um, this Bloomberg um, in interview that he did, he explained that they're going to entrust all of their wealth to a foundation, and this foundation is going to expire at some point. It's going to end. So they don't want it to continue into eternity. Why? They want all of that money to be spent by a certain date. Because if the money hasn't been spent, it means that people haven't been doing their jobs, and they haven't been working hard enough to find a cure for these diseases. And he says that at that point, he believes those diseases will be gone, and then somebody else can pick up the baton and carry on the good fight. And what strikes me about this is that this man is not a believer. Like I, I checked him out, and he doesn't believe in God, <laughs> which blows my mind that somebody would actually think like that. Why aren't we the ones sitting in sub-Saharan Africa, the ones who are pursuing this kind of thing? 
I'm not saying that there aren't people. I'm sure there are many people that are pursuing this. But why don't we think that big, that intergenerational? That is a legacy that can be admired. There's another friend um, that I was spe speaking to yesterday, actually. And she explained to me how um, she's studying right now and she wants to do a PhD as well at some point. And then she wants to go and become a permanent secretary in government. And my initial thought was, my goodness, why would you want to do that? But God has given her a gifting. And she is growing that gifting. She is plowing back into herself. She is applying her mind. And she wants to go on and spend time in the lion's den, which is government, in politics. And wants to bring change from within. And that is good. That is growing her talents. That is investing in a legacy. That is growing and investing in the kingdom. Just go on to the next slide. Debt. Debt is a very tricky to like topic, and I don't want to spend too much time on this. Um, and I think we can really unpack this one like really good on a Saturday morning session. But I want to give you guys a few principles, and that is, as far as debt is concerned, try and stay away from it as much as possible. Debt is called leverage in our world, in the financial world. And leverage is when you take um, a long stick with a fulcrum, and if you use it, you can lift a much heavier weight than what you could on your own. And that is a good thing, right? So debt is not necessarily a bad thing. It can help you. It can help you lift a weight that's much bigger than what you can do on your own using somebody else's money. But at the same time, that debt can become a trap, especially if you use that debt incorrectly. It can work against you just as much as it works for you. Number one, don't buy debt. Don't use debt for consumables. Don't use debt for things that are here today, gone tomorrow. Don't use it on clothes. Don't use it on, for food and for your basics. If you are doing that, no judgment. My mom was one of those ladies who also had store cards. and At one point, they had to cut them up. But it doesn't mean that you have to stay there. I want you to get a bit of a shift in your thinking and to, first of all, track your budget, see where the wastage is, and track how much you actually spend on debt every month. And if it's being spent on the incorrect things, challenge yourself to get out of that. Also, avoid using debt for assets that don't appreciate or grow in value, a.k.a. a car. A house is a different story. And we can unpack that again really, really well on a Saturday mo morning. Because even in those circumstances, there are times when maybe you shouldn't use debt. But for a car, it's not really something that appreciates in value. But I understand that we need to get from point A to point B. But it doesn't mean then that you need to get the biggest, flashiest G63, huh? G-Wagon. G-Wagon. You can get it. You can get it by all means if you can buy it cash. But if you're going to use debt, trust me, that thing doesn't appreciate. It's a sinking hole. Number one, or like the next thing as well, pay off expensive debt first. So what is expensive debt? Debt that accrues the most interest, where the interest rate is at its highest. So that is things like credit cards, store cards, personal loans, and overdrafts. Pay that off. It is a noose around your neck. Do you know where the word mortgage comes from? Yeah, 
So mort means death. Okay? Engage means um, like a pledge. So it's a death pledge. That's where it comes from. That is your mortgage. It is a death pledge. And again, I'm not saying don't use debt for a house, but understand what it is that you're getting yourself into when you take on that debt. That debt will limit your ability to be generous. That debt will limit your ability to pursue new dreams and new ventures. If you wanted to start a business right now, but you've got this massive mortgage that's hanging over your head, there's no way you can start a business. You've got a contract that you have to honor. You can't de like default on that. So... And, I mean, we are people of our word, correct? And then, obviously, pay off your debt as quickly as possible. Let's go on to the next slide. Growing your wealth. And I want to propose to you that this is the order in which you should grow your wealth. You should grow your wealth, first of all, in the kingdom. The Bible says, store up treasures in heaven, where moth does not erode. Moth and rust does not erode. And then invest in yourself. How do you invest in yourself? Through education, through spending time with the correct kind of people, and in changing your perception by spending time in the Word. I spoke about perception at the beginning, about my warped perceptions, and also how I'm still being challenged to bring my thinking into alignment with the Word. So continuously invest in yourself. Secondly, invest in your family. The Bible is very clear that family are a blessing. Children are a blessing. And that a wife is a good thing to find. Invest in your family. And then invest in your assets. And then invest in your assets. The Bible says, let's go, go to that scripture verse in Matthew 6 verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So your thinking needs to be correct about your finances. It doesn't belong to you. You are merely a steward of God's finances. You should first invest into the kingdom, and then he will add to you. But at the same time, guys, it is our duty to be honorable with what God gives us. We should be as that servant that had the five talents and doubled it. There is nothing wrong with being fabulously rich. There is nothing wrong with it. As long as your heart motivation is correct. If your heart motivation is that everything that I own belongs to my creator, it doesn't matter if I've got $10 in the bank or $10 billion in the bank. But we can all agree that the man with $10 billion in the bank can do a lot more for this world and for people's needs than the man with $10 in the bank. Let's go on to the next slide. But your self-worth is not determined by your net worth. Your self-worth is not determined by your net worth. So the heart attitude is what's important. And as I said at the beginning, God is far more interested in our soul and saving our soul than he is in our success. So he will withhold if he knows that he will lose you. But if you can prove yourself faithful 
over and over again. And that faithfulness, guys, is in the daily. It's in the routine. It's in the mundane. It's in the year and the now. It's in what you're going to do next this afternoon and tomorrow and the day after that. If you are faithful in that, God will bless you in the long run. And I mean, one of the biggest myths is that the more money I have, the more security I will have and the more happy I will feel. And the Bible is also clear and says that um, money answers many questions, right? Meaning that it can bring you much happiness. The things that you can buy with money can bring you happiness. But that happiness is temporary if you are not secure in your understanding of who it is that gives you that money and who it is that gives you eternal life and who it is that owns the cattle on a thousand hills. You are a lot more secure if you know that your father in heaven is looking after you than you are if you have $10 billion in the account and you don't know that it can be taken away from you in an instant. And you don't know that you are not going to spend eternity with your creator. And with that, I would like to hand over Pastor Ephraim. I just, I was just enjoying drinking and drinking. I said to the Lord, even if he doesn't finish, it's fine. You know, this is, this is the kingdom. Yeah. Um, the focus here is on inheritance. That was the next thing. Um, the inheritance, of course, we have the eternal inheritance. And then the physical inheritance. Um, with the eternal inheritance, I mean, I want to focus on that scripture. Please throw out scripture, Proverbs 13, verse 22. It's an amazing scripture that we should never forget as believers. It says, 13, 1, 3, 22. Quickly? Yes. A good man left an inheritance to his children's children. And the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. Now, the primary focus is that first part there. That a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. If you are a good man, you must look after your children before you leave. You must do that. It's important. Um, in Africa, we have the whole understanding that I look after you so that you can look after me. That is not biblical. It's not biblical. And I think probably this is why we are also in recessions and recessions and recessions because there is nothing stored for generations to come. Everybody is in this consuming mentality. That we must, if we are really thinking kingdom and we are thinking generational, we need to be able to do that. There's another scripture, I think, in the Psalms that speaks that one generation will commend God's goodness to the next generation. It's important. It's important to do that. So with that, we have the eternal 
Apostle Paul is speaking to Timothy and he says, teach or take this great deposits and entrust them to other reliable men and women that will be able to also do exactly the same to the next. And he is realizing that he's actually in a tired position here. His time is coming to an end. So he needed to invest in someone else that would take the principle of the kingdom, the gospel, and be able to, 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 to tell Timothy to actually do that with the next generation so that the gospel can reach us. If Timothy did not do that or any of the apostles did not take those great deposits from Jesus and entrusting it to other reliable men and women, you and me wouldn't be standing here today. And look at that ripple effect of what happened there. Um, so with that, I just want to say it's important for us to not only think about financial wealth, but it's important to think about where your children are going to go. What will happen to their souls? Where will they spend eternity? You don't want to be in heaven and then you realize, oh, there goes my children to hell. I was the only one that got saved in my family. And my wife. We were having quiet time and we were going to church and our kids will come from the club and will come and sleep in and Sunday morning it's their lazing time. These things are happening a lot in families. We must think about teaching our children the kingdom perspective. What is the kingdom perspective? Second um, Timothy chapter 1 verse 14. That good thing which was committed unto you, keep by the Holy Spirit which dwells in us. What version is this? Is this version from the Lord? I mean, of course, it's in church. First Timothy chapter 2. Second uh, Timothy chapter 2, um, chapter 1, verse 14. It says, guard the good deposits that was entrusted unto you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who is in you. The good deposits. The good deposits. Can we think of depositing good things in our children? Good things. Depositing those good things in our children that then we can be able to say, Holy Spirit, please keep them accountable. Because now they know. Now they know the gospel. Now they know the eternal salvation. Now they know stewardship. Now they know generosity. And therefore, hold them accountable. And help them to be able to, to administer these things. And these things to be evident in their lives. Because these are the fruit of those that belong to God. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10 and 11. Philippians chapter 3. It's important that we, we understand these things. Um, it says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection participation in his suffering, becoming like him in his death. 
and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Imagine leaving your child with all the physical wealth, but then also knowing that they have this passion and desire of wanting to know these things. Pushing for Christ Jesus and really becoming like him in his suffering. That when they suffer, they won't think about the bank account, but they will think about prayer. When they suffer, they won't think about acquiring debt or going to borrow money from someone. But they will look unto the hills where their helps come from. That's the eternal inheritance. Those are the greatest inheritance ever. And I think it's important to reemphasize that. So trust God as you teach your children. He says he won't be able to give you something that you cannot be able to handle. Don't say your children are difficult. Trust God. Make time. Make time for them. Make time for the word. And teach them the greatest things that are important in life. Teach them that they can be saved. That they can receive salvation. Teach them that Jesus Christ died on the cross for them. Teach them that their sins are forgiven if they believe. Teach them that it is by faith that we become the righteousness of God. Teach your children these things. And teach your children stewardship. Malcolm spoke about stewardship. Looking after other people's things. But also stewarding things that we have to give account when we face God one day. Teach them to be generous. Teach your children about generosity. Teach them. And also model it. <laughs> Don't just be a road sign. That shows where things are, but they never go there. Teach your children these things also through your own life. They must see that we actually don't have anything now, but mommy and daddy decided to give this to this other family. And then use that as a, as a, as a way of actually bringing a specific principle across. Especially nowadays, kids want to get gifts, and gifts, and gifts. It's like they are, their feelings is attached on physical things. Sometimes Oli does tell me that, Daddy, I'm bored. I'm like, Oli, what, what do you want? It's like, can you buy me a gift? <laughs> I'm like, that's a wrong mentality. And what an opportunity to be able to teach. What an opportunity to be able to teach. So we must teach our children. The other thing, the second aspect is the physical inheritance, of course. The physical inheritance, you need to prepare yourself to prosper. First of all, Prepare yourself to prosper because Christ has given us all things. He has given us all things. Prepare yourself for prosperity. In everything, prepare yourself. And once you put your heart in the right place, work hard. 
Walk hard. Faith with works. Faith without works, dead. Okay? So walk hard. And also don't just walk hard, walk smart. How do you do that? You ask God for wisdom. Solomon is now about to enter into the greatest kingdom of Israel. There's no other kingdom that was like it. David has done all the works. He has won all the battles. He has acquired the land. And this young man steps before God and he says, I want wisdom. In other words, let me take it from here to the next level. But I need your help. So as you walk smart, you're not walking smart in your own ability and strength, but you're walking smart relying on God, who is the perfecter of our faith. So walk smart, asking God every time, every time. Remember one day I went to sit at the feet of Davi Fori, and he looked at me and he says, Frank, You have to listen. And you have to listen very well. It's not going to come in a loud voice. But it will come in a small, still voice. A gentle spirit. That when it speaks into your heart, there is this amazing peace that is attached to your sweet thoughts that he is giving you at that very specific time. And I took that because I was thinking, should I invest into everything? Should I see a house here and buy? Should I buy a farm? Should I buy all the cows whenever I have money? He says, no, don't do that. Ask God for wisdom. And then listen. And listen very carefully because he speaks to us. He speaks to us. And he brings divine opportunities that you know that this one, only God can make this possible. So listen and listen very well and carefully to the whisper of the Holy Spirit. And then once you hear Seize that divine opportunity. Don't let it go. Grab hold of it. Now in my family, I don't know about you, in my family, my, my wife looked after our things because she's very administrative. And then I have the eagle's view. I see where are we going, what's happening, what's going on, what's going on. So every time I always bring ideas. But this is happening. This is that. This is that. You know, and then she sees how can we position that. Sometimes she says, no, that's not from the Lord. You know, which is good. Which is good. You need to have someone that is really connected to the Holy Spirit in that way. But as a, as a, as a, as a leader of the family, I need to be able to do that. I can't just sit and wait for things to fall on my lap. 
You need to be able to engage. You need to connect. Who is this person? What's happening? And then sometimes you hit against people who really just want to take away from you like a, like a tick. You know, they just want to suck your blood. Then you realize, no, here I wasn't listening from God. The second last thing is steward what God entrusts into your hands. Malcolm spoke about Trem. Spoke about Trem and what was the other one? Track. That whole thing is actually stewardship. It's stewardship. And as you steward those things, the children will learn because they see what you're doing. Now, my family, my brothers and sisters are sitting here, and my dad had this thing where when he sees you with money, he just, he just takes it and, and says, let me look after it. You must forget, you're not going to see that thing. Forget. And when you come and ask in a very, not polite, but inferior, shock, like you're shaking even when you're asking what belongs to you, he asks you, all this pup that you have been eating, where do you think it comes from? That was it. That was it. So in my, in my family, we never had this thing where we see how our parents are managing their finances. They never opened their, that life of them to. Now, I understand because that's an African mentality. You don't tell your children that you are going to inherit these things. You don't say that. Because in case the children become so smart that they get to the witch doctor first <laughs> and take you out and then they sit in the wealth of their parents. So there's so much fear attached to this subject of inheritance. We also know about the vultures, those uncles who just only appear at the funeral. Huh? I am one of your greatest uncles. It's like, hello, where were you the whole time? Why are we only knowing you now? You know? And it becomes one of those things that we never, never speak to our children about. We never train our children to really prepare them. And this is very selfish. It's very selfish. Because then you leave people in a mess that takes so long and hatred now you hate all these people who take your father's cows. You hate them. And, and, and now you don't even want to do anything with their children because they plundered your wealth. But if you are a parent, please leave a will. Please. Don't do stuff like that. Leave a will. You don't want to... Now some people are... They really don't have anything. And there, there's such a, some sort of a scandal revealed at the day of your death. How could the person live so irresponsibly like this? What are we now going to do with all the 30 children that he have produced? <laughs> now, that's the other unfortunate side of things. But if you at least know that there's a $200 in a bank account, 
And this $200, I would like it to go to my children. Put it on paper and put it somewhere where people will be able to find it. I remember a family where they put it at home somewhere. They was in, and then one of the aunties got there first and she teared this paper and burned it. You know? So put it somewhere where lawyers and people like that will come and say, hey, let's lock the kraal. Nothing is getting out. There is a paper here. Ah, as soon as the lawyer shows up at your house, you know you start seeing all those vultures <laughs> going to sit under the trees and they don't even care anymore. But this is Africa. When my wife came to me and was speaking to me about the will, I freaked out. It's like, what is she planning to do? <laughs> I thought she was a white person. White people don't do these things. So it took us weeks of going through counseling. I went to Godfrey and I said, Godfrey, you won't believe what is happening. Because I knew that he would understand and sympathize. But somehow he's also educated. So, so we had to go through some process. And my wife, my poor wife, she doesn't know what, is, what are these things, these African things. She has no idea. So she was thinking that I am out of my mind. What kind of a person doesn't want to leave a will? I said, no, we will leave a will, but not now. <laughs> when we are closer there, how do you know? How do you know? <laughs> you know? So I said, okay, okay, okay. Let's go then. So now we have to think about all these people we have to add to the will. And we must let them know. You can see what I'm actually going through. We must let them know that, ah, should something happen to us, please, you are responsible until the children are 21. Now, what if they take us out? <laughs> Those people. Because legally, they are on our papers now. But it's fine. I had to go back and think about these things. But Proverbs 30, 13 verse 22 says a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. So you are not even thinking about your kids. You are thinking about your grandkids. So your kids will build on your shoulder so that the other kids will build on their shoulders. And off we go. The communities and society will be in a better place. And this is the kingdom. And God has given it to us. Fear should be out of the door. And so that we can position ourselves from a place of love, power, and sound mind. May we rise and as we pray.